If you have a Bible in next in front of you, would you please pick up your Bible? See if you have one in there. Tom, turn to Psalm 73. If someone next to you is not sure where it is, would you please help them out? Psalm 73. It's on page 599 in our red Bibles. I'll make it easy. 599. Okay. I want to speak on a timeless truth tonight. Actually, something the psalmist already spoke about, and I'm just going to highlight it. We usually read over the overheads, but I want everybody to read it with your own eyes. Would you do that with me today? Does everybody have a Bible? Everybody can see the pages. Except for my brother Brian, he has a hard time with that. Okay. He'll follow along. He's good to follow along. Bless God. There's a timeless truth. When we get to the timeless truth, let me see if you know it and say amen. Okay, don't worry about interrupting me. When we get to the timeless truth. Are you ready? Are you ready for the word of God this morning? Amen. Are your hearts prepared? Yes. All right. Batten the hatches. Get ready. God's coming at us. He loves us. He loves us. Here we go. Starting in verse 1. We'll read all 28 verses. And I'll make some introductory comments. And then I will go portion by portion. And expound on it the best I can. Surely God is good to Israel. To those who are pure in heart. But as for me, my feet had almost slipped. I had nearly lost my foothold, for I envied the arrogant when I saw the prosperity of the wicked. They have no struggles. Their bodies are healthy and strong. They are free from burdens common to man. They are not plagued by human ills. Therefore, pride is their necklace. They clothe themselves with violence. From their callous hearts come iniquity. The evil conceits of their minds know no limits. They scoff and speak with malice. In their arrogance, they threaten oppression. Their mouths lay claim to heaven, and their tongues take possession of the earth. Therefore, their people turn to them and drink up their waters in abundance. They say, how can God know? Does the Most High have knowledge? This is what the wicked are like, always carefree, They increase in wealth. Surely in vain I have kept my heart pure. In vain I have washed my hands in innocence. All day long I have been plagued. I have been punished in every morning. If I had said I will speak thus, I wouldn't have betrayed your children. When I tried to understand all this, it was oppressive to me. Till I entered the sanctuary of God. And then I understood their final destiny. Surely you have placed them on slippery ground. You cast them down to ruin. How suddenly are they destroyed, completely swept away by the terrors. As a dream when one awakes. So when you arise, O Lord, you will despise them as fantasies. When my heart was grieved and my spirit embittered, I was a senseless and ignorant. I was a brute beast before you, God. Yet I am always with you. You hold me by your right hand. 
you guide me with your counsel, and afterward you will take me into glory. Whom have I in heaven but you? And earth has nothing I desire beside you. My flesh and my heart may fail, but God is the strength in my heart and my portion forever. Those who are far from you will perish. You destroy all who are unfaithful to you. But as for me, it is good to be near God. I have made the sovereign Lord my refuge. I will tell of all your deeds. Let's pray. Father, we are grateful. We're grateful that the psalmist who wrote well over 2,500 years ago, God, maybe over 3,000 years ago, had this timely truth. Why does it seem that the arrogant, prideful, wicked man prospers in this life? While we, who are humble in heart, who desire to serve you, Father God, feel like we're beaten up every morning and every evening, just making it through the day, just making it through life, while others around us are singing and being happy, God, but they don't know you. Set the record straight today in our hearts, Father God. Let us know where the promised land is, Father God. The promised land is to be near the good God and to make him sovereign Lord and refuge and tell the world of his wonderful salvation he has given us in Christ. Help us today. Breathe upon the text, God. Enlighten our minds and our hearts that we may draw nearer to you and further and further from the things of this world. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Like I said, the psalm has a timeless truth into it, one that is thinking men for millennium, philosophers, theologians, poets, ordinary folks of all times and places have contemplated. Sometimes they articulate it clearly. Other times, just a fleeting thought. But it's just as real. And that is, why do the wicked seemingly prosper in this life? Why doesn't just God come down and bless all the good people who are struggling just to make it another day? Why does it seem the arrogant man, the unfaithful man, the sinner, seemingly gets away with just about everything and all they do is continue to prosper? Why does it seem go to go well with the evil? Why do bad people prosper at all in this life? Where is God in all this? Have you not read the papers? Are you living in the same world I am? Why does it seem like the wicked prosper? Where's God? Our psalmist isn't the first one to say this. I'm certainly not the first one to say this. Jeremiah says it in the 12th chapter. He says, righteous are you, O Lord, when I complain to you. God, you're righteous, and I'm complaining to you. Yet, God, I would still plead my case before you. God, why does the wicked prosper, says the prophet. Job likewise asks, why do the wicked live? Why do the wicked live and reach old age and grow mighty in power? Anybody who really is observant of human nature and what takes place in life realizes that somehow, some way, it seems that people who bend the rules, people like to bend the rules, come out on top. See, they don't know the old proverb that 
the arm of the, the long arm of the Lord moves, it just moves slowly. He catches up. God has his day in court. Aesop didn't realize that. The tension to this question poses is due to a fundamental problem human beings had. Aesop had it. Let me tell you something about Aesop real fast. Aesop was a minister of the gospel in the Old Testament. He was a minister. This is a man who walked with God. This is a man that was picked by King David to be the head Levite in the sanctuary. This is no mere man. This is a thinking, religious, devoted, righteous human being who was handpicked by King David himself to stand in the courts and sing the chorus of the Lord. But yet he had a fundamental problem. Even ministers can do it. Which has to do with inner attitudes of the heart. Where does our value lie? Jesus says, where a man's heart is, there is his treasure. Which leads someone or some people to view life from man's finite, narrow point of view. And that's what happened to Aesop. He fell from a high position of grace and he's starting to look from life from man's point of view. Not from God's infinite, wide-ranging, full understanding of all things from eternity past to eternity future. God knows the end to the beginning and that's where we begin to live life. I'm prayed up. There is something I am trying to establish here as I preach. That when you leave this room today, you will begin to look at life from the end to the beginning. And not from where you are. Because from where you are could really seem not good most of the time. But when you see it as Aesop saw, when he went into the temple and he recognized what happens, and he sees it from God's perspective, who knows the end to the beginning, he's a different human being. And so will you, and so will I. In retrospect, what's going on in the psalm are two different worldviews, two different approaches to life. One from God's advantage and one from man's minute advantage. One from an earthly perspective, another from a heavenly perspective. The earthly perspective is shallow and foolish, the other is deep and wise. Our approach tonight to this psalm will be twofold, maybe three. Theological, philosophical, and I might give you an introduction into the man Aesop. If not next week, I will do that. Let me give you a short synopsis of the psalm before I actually go into expound on it. Are you with me? Can you follow? Listen to the short synopsis. This is a short synopsis of a man that has lost sight of the good God. Man loves God and his goodness. But the God-loving man almost loses faith and confidence in the good God of Israel... Because this man starts paying more attention to sinners than to God. His heart is slowly being drawn away from Israel's good God as he looks only at the apparent temporary prosperity of the wicked. Their seemingly carefree life that is not interrupted by difficulties and his heart slowly begins to drift. 
He sees their bodies, their outer man, as full and fat with wine and food and comfort. And he forgets the food of the inner man, the word of God. This good, loving man begins to focus on the boasting and the violence of the wicked and not on God's promises. He sees other Israelites following their boasting as if it's God's wisdom. This man who loves God begins to even question faithful living. His devotion to God, he asks, why bother? It's all in vain. As it was a waste of his precious time. And all God's fatherly rebukes of correction, which are meant to establish moral good and moral character, not material ease. All God's work in our life is to produce character, not ease. Christian men and women today in the 21st century, you have to know that. You have to know God is here for your Christ-like character and not for the comforts of the world. Aesop forgot. This man who loves God has the clarity of mind to keep it to himself. He's a minister, but he keeps the struggle within his own heart. He doesn't inflict others. As he struggles with the issues of life and faith, and he seeks how to process the whole matter, which seems as a wearisome and worrisome task, He enters into the sanctuary of Israel's good God and as praise and prayer and worship are mixed up with the problems of his life, something happens to this man. He is reminded of an eternal truth and he sees life from the end to the beginning and then he realizes the final destiny of the ungodly, the proud and the boastful and the arrogant sinner. It's eternal death. Ultimate justice. God has the last word. It's all vanity of vanities and chasing after the wind, he says. Foolish, faithless life today is a foolish, eternal death tomorrow. Now, he looks at his own heart and he calls himself brutish, ignorant. He was a mere beast. He reasoned like an animal. With no God sight at all. All just an earthly opinion about everything. Then he realizes. That God was holding on to him all the long. In spite of his faithlessness. In spite of his arrogant opinions. In spite of falling in love with the things of the world. God held on to him. He says I almost slipped. Because you looked in the wrong direction at the world's temporary joys and not at the joy of the Lord. Now he's back where he's safe and sound in the refuge of the Almighty. He's near to God that loves him. Now he wants to open his mouth and praise God to all people. That's being lived out on a daily basis all the time. There's people in this room right now. You're looking for something in the world to make you happy. God is not a priority. Every once in a while, he fits into your schedule. It's nice of you. Who are you? Stand up. Take an applause. 
Who are you? Thank you. God wants to know. Thank you very much. Brother Marty, some people came today. They're going to get, they're going to tip their hats to the Lord. Hey, praise the Lord. Let me fit God into the busy schedule. I know. I'm a little sarcastic. When I say we, I mean we all can do this, all right? This is not you. This is, this is a minister. Aesop's a minister. So I'll hit on all the ministers next week real hard, including myself. But there's a point. Come on, we know that. Aren't we always fighting? We're out there. You know, you're barely making ends meet, and there's a guy next to you prospering all the time. You know, you barely, you just feel like you're just making it. And you're praying, and you're being devoted to God, and you're doing everything right, and you know it. You know, you just, you just want to get that break in life. But it seems like everybody else is getting a break because you don't realize they're bending the rules. You want, to, you want to make it fast in this world? Bend the rules. Go ahead, bend the rules. You watch what happens. You'll get some, you'll, there'll be some early success in whatever you're doing. But keep on bending. If you're a Christian, you're bending the rules, forget about it. God's going to let you, he's going to hang you. He's going to let you hang yourself. Until you get so fat with the things of the world, you're miserable. The prodigal son did that. God knows how to get to his children. Though there's much here forensically about life's different roads. We could set time aside to analyze the foolish all the time, and it's good. It's good to analyze the foolish behavior. That's what the whole book of Proverbs analyzes the foolish behavior of people who don't know God. Watch it. Then it analyzes the behavior of people who do. One group is called wise. The other group is called foolish. That's the whole book of Proverbs. All right? Go home. 31 chapters. That's all it's about. We could do that. But this psalm is a great starting point. I think it's something we can all identify with uh, from a a one-week-old Christian to a 40-year-old Christian. We can see these dynamics pulling on us. How many times I hear people say, especially religious people that go to church on a regular basis, usually mainstream Christianity, Roman Catholicism, Greek uh, Orthodoxy, these kind of mainstream that really don't teach the Bible at all. They have no idea who God really is. They don't understand the Word of God. And as soon as something goes wrong in their life and there's a death, there's a sickness, there's something, guess what? They give up on religion. And they say, I've tried it. When someone says, I've tried it, that means means they're saying, I never met him. Because when you meet him, you stop trying. I'm not trying to be a Christian. If you're trying to be, you're not trying. We met God, that's why I'm a Christian. I don't know where to go now. Jesus preached to a crowd of 10,000 people. And he looked at them and he said, you must drink my blood and eat my body. Or you have nothing to do with God. That's what he said. You're telling a Jew to eat human flesh? They all left him. And there's 12 disciples there. And they said, you want to leave too? And Peter said, speaking for all, where are we going to go? You got the words of life. I don't understand what you just said, but I know it's you. Because I met you. You got the words of life. I don't know. What does that mean? Eat your body and drink your blood. What are you talking about? But when you know him, whatever he says, his word is true. And it speaks to the heart issue. And that's what's going on. 
Let's go into the verses and see what's going on here, okay? I'm going to take a sip. That's my introduction. <laughs> but follow along. This is why I wanted you to look at the Bible today. I want you to look at it. And, I, and let's ask God to put meat and bones on this. This is not a man of straw. This is not a stick figure. This is God revealing something about life from a Christian perspective. We can get lost if our eyes are looking in the wrong direction. And it's easy to live in a life of prosperity. If, if you're a business person, if you, I had my own business. My wife has her own business. Listen, it's easy to want to bend the rules. But you don't because we're Christians. And we don't bend the rules. If God wants to bring a greater prosperity, praise God. And if he doesn't, guess what? Praise God. It makes no difference. You don't bend the rules. Verse 1. Let's read it together in our, in our book here. Get your Bible out. It's called the Bible. The Word of God. You ready? I want you to look at it. Verse 1. Psalm 73. Surely God is good to Israel, to those who are pure in heart. See, he's making a distinction right away. He starts off with the knowledge in that God of Israel is good. It means, it, it means to be, he's beautiful. In his person, it means to be pleasant, cheerful, generous, festive, pleasing. He's saying God is awesome. Just to be close to God, you've got a cheerful heart. You feel like your whole soul is being pleased. This is the God of Israel. All these attributes can only be recognized by the pure in heart, he says, though. To those who are pure in heart. You see, the God of the Bible, the God of Jesus, Jesus, Jesus means nothing to people. They use his name as like nothing. But for the pure in heart, he's hope, he's peace, he's joy, he's contentment, he's happiness, he's humility, he's eternal life, he's power, he's power over temptation, he's power over sin, he's power over this world, he's power over Satan, and he's power over death to the pure in heart. And it's for the pure in heart who give God all their heart, all their thoughts, and all their desires, like they're married to God. They're God-consumed. If I perish, I perish. Makes no difference to Esther. It makes no difference at all. But something's going on here, but this good God. Listen to him in verse 2. He goes, but as for me, what happened? He stopped, you're a minister. Aren't you part of the pure in heart? God is good. He's good to Israel. He's pleasant. He's generous to the pure in heart. He goes, but as for me, my feet had almost slipped. Yeah. I had nearly lost my way. Yeah. But though the writer knows this, he knows how good God is. He knows how wonderful God is, how pleasant, how pleasing, how friendly he is. He almost blows it. He almost blew it. This guy was, he was going to blow it. If he didn't go into the house of the Lord one day, he was a goner. Yeah. I, I, I hope you see the providence and the sovereignty of God in all this. Back up a moment. Do you think you're doing a favor by coming to church? Do you think you're doing a favor by reading your Bible? Do you think you do God a favor because you put a couple bucks in there? 
Understand something. You're doing okay. God's doing you a favor to be here today. Hearing the counsel of God. Because if not, some people live their whole Christian life as one foot is at the door. Their foot is almost slipping. That's how they live their Christian life. They're out of their mind. They're out of their mind. He almost blows it. He almost loses faith in Israel's good God. He's right there. The text, you've got to feel the tension in the Hebrew. It's like, I almost fell into the pit. I would felt the flames of fire burning. That's the intensity. That's the tone. And then he tells us why. Verse 3. For I envied the arrogant when I saw the prosperity of the wicked. He goes right to the Tenth Commandment. Thou shalt not covet. But he's coveting. He's not covering the arrogant. He's covering what the arrogant have. So much so, he doesn't even see the arrogant. He just sees what they possess and how they got it. And he wants it. The prosperity over here is the peace and completeness, safeness, the health, the satisfaction. The word actually means friend. The prosperity the wicked had if it was like a close friend and he envied it. They took confidence in their possessions. They took confidence in their accomplishments. And here's this man who's faithfully serving God and going nowhere. You know how many ministers feel that way? Many a minister, many a Christian man felt and woman like they're wasting their time. Because nothing seems to be getting done. This is what Asaph is going through. This is David's right hand man. Verse 3 gives an answer. Gives an answer to the slow backsliding of heart from God. His eyes have drifted, drifted elsewhere. He's looking like the prodigal son to the far country. He's looking. He's lost his eye on temple service. He lost his eye on all the gifting. He lost his eye that David anointed him. He lost his eye that he was serving the people of God. He was serving the pure in heart. The VIP of God. He forgot. He was set apart for the sole purpose of serving the pious poor who can't give anything back. All he does is give and give and give and sing and sing and sing. And everybody else is prospering. And one day he can't take it no more. His eyes are on the outside. He becomes envious. He slowly pulls away. If you don't think it can happen to him, it can happen to you. It happened to Adam and Eve. It happened to Paul's, Paul's best friend named Demas. Demas worked, worked with Paul. He was a servant with Apostle Paul until one day when the Apostle Paul was thrown into jail. He, he said, Demas has left me for the things of the world. Another minister gone. Or the man in the third soil. Jesus' parable on the soil. The cares of the world, the deceitfulness of riches, the desire for other things slowly choked the word of God out of him. This word is as timely today as it ever has been. Do you know why? Two things have never changed. Human beings are idolatrous in their hearts. Yes. That means yes. you and me. Yes. 
And we can make a God out of anything. Yeah. Be careful. That's why 1 John 5, 21 says, ends with this, young children, beware of idols. People can become lovers of pleasure rather than lovers of God. Sin always looks better and then it turns against you. Remember, all that glitters is not gold. It entices, it seduces. But verses 4 to 9 tell us of this man's unreasonable logic. Listen to this guy's a minister. He was there when David bring back the Ark of the Covenant. Have you ever read it? And with great fanfare, David danced and he leaped before the Ark of the Covenant as he bring it back into Jerusalem. And they were playing their flutes and they were playing the tambourines and he was right there. He was the head Levite. He was leading the crowd. He's forgot it all. God hasn't done nothing new in his life, so I guess God's out. He critiques their life. Listen to this. Verses 4 to 9. Let's read. I'm going to paraphrase a little bit, so read in your Bible. They seemingly have no struggles. Their bodies seem to be healthy and strong. They're always eating the best food. They are free from the burdens of the common man who are barely trying to make it on a daily basis. They're not plagued by human ills. Therefore, pride is their necklace. They clothe themselves with violence. Listen to the trajectory. When you have no struggles, you ready? Anybody have struggles here? They'll keep you humble. They have no struggles. Their bodies are healthy and strong. They are free from burdens and come. Sounds like a good place to be, right? But this is what happens sometimes. They are not plagued by human ills. So guess what? Therefore, pride. They're invincible. They got it made. Listen to the, tra- the trajectory. Their pride is a necklace. They clothe themselves with violence. That's the next thing that happens. You get so full of pride, you don't care who you step on. From their callous heart comes iniquity. And the evil consists of their mind. Listen to this. It knows no limits. Listen to the trajectory. They scoff and speak with malice. In their ignorance, they threaten the oppression. That's the poor. That's not good enough. Their mouth lays claim now to heaven. It's not good enough to get on people created in the image of God. They go right after God. And their tongues take possession of the earth. We will possess the earth. We've eaten off the knowledge of the tree of good and evil. We are like God now. Therefore, their people turn to them. People, Israelites, were turning to them. Therefore, their people turn to them and drink up the waters in abundance. Listen to the arrogance. You don't get no better than this. Now the trajectory of this prideful man that has no problems in life. They say, how can God know? Does the Almighty really have knowledge of what I'm going through in my heart? Does the Almighty really see the arrogance in my heart? Does he really see how I'm oppressing people? What I think about people? How I treat people? Does these people, they're beyond God's judgment. They're walking in life as though they're free from any divine justice at all. These verses tell us of a man's unreasonable logic. Mm. He critiques their lives. They seem unaffected by life's difficulties. The rich and arrogant often do. 
And the only enemy they have is death. And they don't even fear that. This unhindered life of luxury seems to be fertile ground for arrogance and pride. Toward men and towards God. He who is arrogant towards a man will be arrogant towards God. Don't ever forget that. And he who is humble before God will be humble before men. (coughs) Rarely, personally, me, I have seen this type of prosperity lead to great humility. It's usually the opposite around. People can actually live with a sense of impunity against God's divine law. People think that they themselves are God. Or at least masters of their faith and their own destiny. Throughout the scriptures and human history, the poor are always seen as close to God. It's the rich in the scriptures. And those at ease, along with the great intellectuals that seem to assault God, slowly easing God out of the equation. We see that taking place in America today. It has swept, secularism has swept through Eastern Europe, has swept through Europe has swept through Canada. It is sweeping now through America. They're easing God out. Does the Most High God know our innermost thoughts? When you think God doesn't see, watch the worst of humanity. Watch. Slowly they ease God out. And when God's not around... Now you can steal the spoil. God's people. Forcibly, subtly. Keep your eyes on what's going on in America. Watch the next 10 and 20 years. You love Christ? You love Christ? Yes. It's going to cost you one day. Yes. Get ready. Yes. It's going to cost you promotion. It's going to cost you a job. It's going to cost your loved ones. It's going to cost your family. People don't want Christ. They love religion. But they don't want to think they're being told how to live. Or they need to be saved. Or their sin is in the hands of an angry God. They don't want that. Listen to verse 10 and 11. I love this. Are you ready? Listen to this little short story of himself. Uh, of people I follow them, excuse me. Therefore, their people turn to them. Who are these people? And drink up the waters in abundance. They're drinking up this arrogance. They say, how can God know? Does the Most High have any knowledge? Listen to the naive. The naive always think the arrogant, prideful, boastful, intelligent, intellectual, prosperous man knows everything. And they're, they're like glued to it. They're, whatever you say, Warren Buffett, whatever he says, it, it must be God. He's a billionaire. I was talking to a man, very, very wealthy, self-made man. I've been trying to lead him to Christ for 30 years now. It's, it's been a battle, but you know, I stay with it. He was telling me about Warren Buffett's money. About five years ago. And I let him go on. He's a Brian, back this time he was worth $12 billion. 
And his eyes were like, mm. I said, yeah, but he's like 83 years old. He's going to die soon. <laughs> this guy went, he had to run to the bathroom because I just popped. <laughs> that, he, that was his God. I was like, well, he's going to die. So what? What does it profit a man to gain the whole world and the forfeit your soul? You thought I just like smacked him in the face or something. Well, I did. I smacked him in the proverbial face. I smacked him. Who cares? $12 billion. Who cares? Who cares if you only got $100? Who cares? Praise God. Praise God. I mean it. But no, they follow him. They follow. That's what happens. So these arrogant people, remember something. The psalmist is not talking about the other nations. He's talking about Israelites who go to the temple, Israelites who give sacrifice, Israelites who are called by a Jewish name, Israelites who have Jewish property rights. He's talking about Jew against Jew. This is what I like. Listen to verse 12 to 15. This all leads to some self-reflection. Okay? This is what the wicked are like. Always carefree. They increase in wealth. Surely in vain I have kept my... Listen to him now. Oh, poor Aesop. Oh, Aesop. I feel so bad for him. Listen, listen to Aesop. Let's all pat him on the hiney. And watch him. Give him a little napkin, all right? Oh, surely in vain I've kept my heart pure. Oh, Pastor, why doesn't anything good ever happen to me? I have a better man. I have another woman. And I know this going on, Pastor. In vain I wash my hands in innocence. All day long, listen to Aesop, all day long I've been plagued. Oh, what have you been plagued by? Every morning, every morning. What does that mean? God's been rebuking him, and he's not paying attention. God's making life a little hard on him, because he's looking at the prosperity of the wicked, and he's not looking at the sovereignty of God. He's getting all teary-eyed. Oh, Hadam. Hadam, that, that's poor soul in Arabic. Hadam. <laughs> I don't know. Look, we should all just. Don't you feel bad for Asa? That was an honest one. That was honest. Bless our brother. Listen to verse 15. Now he's a minister, don't forget. He's a minister. I'll explain this next week if I get to it. If I had said, I will speak thus, I would have betrayed your children. Meaning this, if I really told your children in the temple when they were bringing a sacrifice and they wanted to hear the word of God read and they wanted to hear the word of God sung about and, they, and if I really told them how I would think and I would have betrayed them. That's what he's saying. He kept it to himself. It's probably the best thing he's done so far. It all leads to self. He sees his whole religious life as a waste of time and useless. Let me tell you something how much I love our congregation. I never feel this way. I need this Pastor John. Ever. We are loved and we know it. And it's a cherish. And it's a privilege to minister for you guys. For the Lord to you guys. But life is hard as a minister sometimes. Aesop knows that. There's a lot going on, but he's not seeing no fruit. It's hard when you see no fruit in the ministry. It's hard. 
when you're pouring yourself out week in and week out through everything and, and you see indifference and the people looking at the time. You know, it's like they're roaming around like some kind of opiate. You know, what, what's going on in my life? No! No! It's not a waste of time! You're serving God! And understand something, those who wait upon the Lord shall never, ever be put to shame. Stick around and see what God did for Job. Stick around and see what God did for Paul. Stick around for the Christ who went to the grave and was raised three days later. Stick around and see what God will do for you. Wait for a man. Wait for a woman. Wait for a right job. Don't bend the rooms. Walk in integrity. Wait, 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 and watch what God can do for you. That's right. Don't look at the wicked that seem to be prospering. Don't look at the people kissing up the noses of the boss trying to get their, get their, their promotion. You know, don't, don't go that way. Don't look at the boss is doing. Don't just stand up, be tall, walk in, and do your work like the Bible says to do your work. Do everything you do unto the glory of God. Everything. I'm not even close to the end of the story. You'll have to come back next week and hear us. Praise God. Here's the point. Here's the point. Let me tell you something about the Psalms and I'll close, okay? When you read the Psalms, it really brings you into the ordinary experiences of the day of believers. Aesop is me and you. Yeah. Of course I was sarcastic. And I was theatrical. And I was animated. Not because I'm beyond this feeling sorry for myself. It's human. And we come here to encourage each other. Let's keep our eyes on the Lord. And not on the seeming prosperity of the wicked. Let's keep our eyes on the end result. As Paul says, what's laid up for me at the end of his life is a crown of righteousness. And not just for me, he says in 2 Timothy, but for all those who loved his appearing. Let's keep our eyes on Christ. Let's enjoy the intangibles of peace, love, joy, and hope and contentment. And come back. I'm tired. Father, we bless you. We love you.